the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Seth Liebson Show. Seth is enjoying a well-deserved vacation this week, and I am John Hinderocker from Powerline filling in for Seth this afternoon. If you are not familiar with the Powerline website, I just want to start our program by by commending it to your attention. The URL is powerlineblog.com. But if you simply Google the word or words Powerline, we will be the first thing to come up. My longtime writing partner, Scott Johnson, and I uh, started the Powerline website in May of 2002. Uh, One of my college roommates, Paul Mirengoff, joined us just a few months later. And in uh, 2011, Steve Hayward, author of The Age of Reagan and a professor at the University of California at Berkeley, among many, many other things, uh, joined uh, Powerline, and that's been the crew ever since. Uh, Over the years that we've had the website, we have gotten about 1.2 billion, billion with a B, uh, page views, and have occasionally over the years had brushes with uh, brushes with history, as in the 2004 presidential campaign. So um, I, I commend Powerline to your attention. And if we have some Powerline readers in our audience this afternoon, please do feel free to give us a call. So I think we have a good show lined up for you today. We've got some good guests. But I want to start by just talking about something that's in the news that has been really interesting to follow, and that is the Canadian truckers' protest. As you all know, the Canadian truckers started out, a group of them, by protesting the vaccination mandate that was in place if they wanted to cross the United States border. But the the, the protest started with... with uh, with the truckers who began on the West Coast and, and trucked in kind of a convoy all the way to Canada's capital city of Ottawa, which is where a lot of them are now. And there were amazing pictures of the highway with, with miles and miles of, of truckers, uh, one after the other, uh, participating in this freedom convoy, as they called it. And the protest has now occupied the capital city of of Ottawa for the last uh, nine days or so. It has spread to other Canadian cities. There are similar protests going on in Toronto and in Vancouver and and Quebec. And and the purpose of the protest, I think, has evolved from the earliest days when they were focused primarily on this, this border vaccination requirement and it has developed into a, a very broad-based protest, not just the truckers, but millions of other Canadians objecting not only to that particular vaccination requirement, but to all of the mandates, all of the COVID-related mandates that are still in place in varying ways across the, uh, the nation of, of Canada. And I think it's fair to say that that, that, that doesn't even do the, do the trucker revolt uh, justice, because I think that 
as I look at the videos that are coming out of Ottawa and the pictures coming out of Ottawa, and I've seen a number of videos and hundreds, hundreds of pictures, uh, most of these people are not truckers. The truckers started the movement, but, but they're not the whole movement. And it's not only vaccination mandates that people are protesting about. I, I think the trucker revolt has really morphed into a much broader pro-freedom movement, a, a, a movement that objects to the heavy hand of government and its regulations uh, that beset us constantly in our in our daily lives and, and a movement that wants to return to the freer Canada uh, as it was uh, some years ago, much like there was a freer America some years ago before uh, we were so tied down like Gulliver with all of these uh, Lilliputian regulations that seem to dictate just about every move that we make. And one notable aspect of the Canadian trucker revolt is that it's not limited to Canada. And I think the attention of the world really has been focused on Ottawa and on, and on Canada. And the Canadian authorities grumble about the fact that that financial support for the movement is coming from sympathizers in the United States. And Canadian intelligence agencies have actually been enlisted to investigate uh, where financial support for the for the protest movement is coming from, and um, and so I think we're seeing a, a a more important phenomenon here than than we could have imagined when the truck convoy first began its journey across uh, across Western Canada. And I want to call on Bill here uh, for his thoughts. Bill, what do you think? Are are we witnessing something that really is going to go down in history? as the moment when ordinary people really uh, took it to the streets, if you will, and began to object to, to the constant bedevilment uh, by the, the oligarchs who want to run our societies. Is this a, is this a, a moment of his importance? Well, John, it's great to see. I think it is a historical moment. Great to see something so organic. And uh, I, I wonder, is... Prime Minister Trudeau still hiding from the truckers. What's the latest on that? Well, last I knew, he was he was in hiding, and of course, he's calling it quarantine. And this is one of the many ironies, Bill. One of the many ironies. What what the truckers and, and others are objecting to uh, primarily is all of these these mandates, whether it's vaccination mandates or mask mandates, and shutdowns and lockdowns and stay in place orders, all the things that have been going on. And of course, all of these things are, are ostensibly ostensibly being done to advance the public health. Although I think it's pretty clear that they do little or nothing to achieve that goal. So what's happened? Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who undoubtedly uh, follows all of the regulations, undoubtedly has been massively vaccinated, and undoubtedly wears masks wherever he goes. Well, maybe not. A lot of the times, these elite folks uh, tell us to wear masks, but then they don't do it themselves. But who's got COVID? Is it the truckers who have COVID? Is it the protesters who have COVID? No, it's Justin Trudeau. And it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's kind of a rebuke to this whole idea that, oh, my gosh, for the sake of public safety, we've got to arrest all the truckers, lest, lest COVID spread. And so whether it's on account of having COVID or whether he just doesn't dare emerge from hiding, I don't know. But Trudeau and his family were, were moved out of their residence, which is in Ottawa. 
and they've been in some undisclosed location for the last week or more. And as far as I know, Bill, he hasn't he hasn't come out to try to do anything. Well, this wasn't supposed to happen to him to catch the Wuhan virus. He's part of this sophisticated crowd. You know, it's really interesting. I was going to get to this later in the show, but I'll mention it just now. Um, data come out of the Minnesota Department of Health, and you have to look at them carefully because they don't go out of their way to make it obvious, right? But in my state, and I'm coming to our listeners, by the way, from uh, from Egan, Minnesota, a Minneapolis uh, suburb, in our state, you can you can uh, work with the Minnesota Department of Health numbers and and conclude that currently more than 70 percent of our covid cases are in fully vaccinated people and and half or more of our hospitalizations and deaths are in fully vaccinated people. And so, you know, the evidence is becoming, unfortunately, I think, very clear that the vaccines do provide some degree of protection against serious uh, COVID infections that would require you to be hospitalized or might even kill you, depending on your general state of health. Uh, They provide some protection, but it's rather modest protection. And they don't appear to provide any meaningful protection against just contracting COVID or spreading COVID. So the idea that if you're not vaccinated, you're a threat to others, I think, is just refuted by the uh, by the empirical data. You may be vaccinated, but you can still catch COVID. You can still spread COVID. And it's looking increasingly like you can catch it just as easily as the unvaccinated people. So the rationale for vaccine mandates, it seems to me, is just... Uh, is really shocked. We are, I hear music playing, and that normally means that we're going to go to a break. Uh, Let's do that. We will go to a break, and we will be back with more on the Canadian trucker revolt after these messages. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm John Hinderocker from Powerline, filling in for Seth today, and we've been talking about the Canadian truckers protest and by the way if you want to tell us what you think about the canadian truckers give us a call number is 602-508-0960 602-508-0960 so so the truckers and their supporters and again most of these protesters are, are not are not actually truckers although many many truckers are involved they have been occupying uh, the capital city of Canada, Ottawa, for about the last nine days. And Parliament Hill is there uh, where, the, where the Canadian Parliament meets. And the center part of the city there is basically taken up with, uh, with trucks and protesters. And the authorities have finally decided that they've just got to crack down. Uh, they, they, they can't leave all those people just kind of occupying the center of the city. And so they've come in now as of as of yesterday and they've started to to make some arrests and the Daily Mail of course an indispensable news service as we all know uh the Daily Mail reports that police in Ottawa arrested 7 people yesterday and opened 60 criminal investigations into the Freedom Convoy that's what the truckers call themselves for hate crimes and mischief Hate crimes and mischief. I would love to know what hate crimes uh, have allegedly been uh, committed, but I have not been able to find any description anywhere in the press as to what these hate crimes uh, might be. 
And the police also seized fuel and supplies for a thousand vehicles. This was following the mayor's declaration of a state of emergency. And one of the things that has been really striking to me is the way in which the left, uh, the authorities, have consistently smeared and, and slandered the um, the truckers' protest in, in ways that I think are completely uh, unbelievable uh, and implausible. So, so for example, let me just read. You may have heard this already. Um, but I think it's worth worth hearing again. This is Justin Trudeau several days ago now talking about the trucker protest. And quoting now Justin Trudeau. Over the past few days, Canadians were shocked and frankly disgusted by the behavior displayed by some people protesting in our nation's capital. I want to be very clear, we are not intimidated by those who hurl insults and abuse at small business workers and steal food from the homeless. We won't give in to those who fly racist flags. We won't cave to those who engage in vandalism or dishonor the memory of our veterans. And and, and these insults directed at the truckers have been repeated in one liberal news source after another. And this business about stealing food from the homeless and insults directed at small business workers, I mean, it is ridiculous. Flying racist flags. One thing you'll see uh, repeated in story after story after story, they'll say some, some of the truckers displayed Confederate flags and some displayed swastikas. So they're trying to smear all of these protesters as, you know, racists with Confederate flags or fascists with with swastikas. And 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 these these news sources repeat that statement over and over and over again. Now, I don't know about you, but I have seen hundreds of pictures and videos uh, from Ottawa during the course of this protest. I have never seen a Confederate flag. I've read that one guy on the first day of the protest showed up with a Confederate flag and was told to go away. That's the only reference I've seen to any actual presence of a Confederate flag. Nor have I seen any swastikas, with one exception. There was one picture of a like a balcony in an apartment building where a couple of people had had little banners that attacked Justin Trudeau and had swastikas on them. And obviously what they were saying was not, we're Nazis, and we're, this is a Nazi protest. Obviously what they're saying is that the authoritarian uh, Justin Trudeau and his, and his administration that's imposing all of these mandates on the population, they're saying these are fascist measures. Now, whether you agree with that or not, and I, I don't agree with it I, think it, I think it overstates the case, but they're obviously not saying, hey, look at us, we're Nazis. That's what they're accusing. That's what they're accusing Justin Trudeau of being. And, and when I look at hundreds, literally hundreds of pictures and videos of what's been happening in Ottawa, what I see and what we all see is Canadian flags, a sea of hundreds and hundreds of Canadian flags. The trucks are decorated with Canadian flags. The, the people are waving Canadian flags. They are everywhere. And where it's not Canadian flags, it's banners and homemade posters talking about freedom. 
And so, and so the authorities are so confused. They, 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 they have no ammunition. They don't know how to respond to this, to this pro-freedom movement. And so they persistently smear it and try to portray these people as, as racist. And, of course, race has got nothing to do with it. And, and authoritarians, when, when in fact they're the opposite. It's the government that's the authoritarians. It's the protesters who are on the side of liberty. And so we're seeing these just, frankly, rather rather pathetic efforts over and over again to, to smear these, um, these protesters. They went so far, a host on the Canadian Broadcasting Company actually suggested that the truckers might be might be agents of Putin's Russian government because well I don't know I don't know why not right why not may if you may as well accuse them of being Russian stooges as uh, as anything else and another thing that I've been seeing is is a reference to these protests as an insurrection where does that come from? Well, obviously, they're taking a leaf up there in Canada for what the liberal press has done here in the United States with the protest on, on January 6, 2021, being categorized as an insurrection, as if this, these people were armed, uh, which they were not, and trying to uh, pull off a coup and take over the government, which they uh, which they were not. But the idea of all of these peaceful demonstrators, and by the way, by the way, we keep hearing about mostly peaceful demonstrations, right? Well, I I, I come from Minneapolis, where there was a demonstration, a riot that went on for five days, that was not in any respect peaceful. And nevertheless, we had the spectacle of the ABC. I think it was ABC News reporter standing in front of a six-story building that was burning to the ground and describing what he was seeing as a mostly peaceful demonstration. What we're seeing in Ottawa is an entirely peaceful demonstration, and the left-wing authorities really don't know what to do with it. We're going to run to a break, and we will be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm John Hinderocker from Powerline, filling in for Seth today. And we are delighted to be joined now by financial whiz, John Dombrowski. John, thanks for being on the program. Hey, nice talking with you, John. John, I want to ask you about some changes that are coming or have, have arrived, I guess, uh, with respect to 401k plans. I, I think in, in recent years, more Americans than ever before have, have, uh, have become aware of the importance of 401k plans that have reposed more of their hopes for the future in 401k plans. So any changes to them are pretty important. What's going on? Yeah, and I think most people today in this country, one of the only ways that they're saving for their retirement is through 401k plans. So you're right, it is a critical uh, part of any good financial plan, and especially if you're considering your retirement and you're getting close to that, uh, are you investing properly? Are you contributing the appropriate amounts needed to allow you to save enough for the future? And one of the benefits that we find and it doesn't happen every year, but this year we did see an increase to the amount that you can contribute to that 401k. And those contrib- contribution limits uh, have increased about $1,000 for an individual to contribute. Now, in the past, 
uh, you may have been contributing a, a, an amount that only uh, matches the amount the employer is contributing, and the reason you're doing that is because you don't want to lose that match. But that doesn't mean you can't put more in, and you actually can put up to $20,500 into your 401k each year. Now, of course, you've got to be at least earning that much to put that much in. Uh, but then your employer also, if they're matching, uh, can match uh, and also include up to sixty-one thousand dollars for 2022 with your match and their, with your contribution and their match. But if you're over the age of 50, we talk about this additional amount that you can contribute as well, which is called the catch-up provision of sixty-five hundred. So it's a substantial amount of money that you can contribute, and if you're not doing that. Uh, you may want to look at what your contributions currently are. If you can afford it in your budget, you may want to increase the amount you're contributing. Yeah, I think 401k plans are, are really the best means for many, many people to actually build wealth. And um, sure. it's, it's very much worth uh, looking at your budget and trying to figure out, can you get more into that 401k? Because the day will come when you're very glad to have it. Yeah, and the other side of it, of course, is the contributions to your 401k plan. In the traditional side of it, uh, you can deduct those from your income, so therefore you're lowering your taxable income base, right? Uh, but many many plans now offer a Roth uh, portion to the 401k as well. So you could take advantage of contributing, paying the taxes up front on that contribution now, but really taking advantage of growth at a tax-free benefit over many, many years. And that could really make a big difference for us. You know, when you retire 10, 15, 20 years from now, uh, we all talk about taxes today. We know taxes uh, with the uh, Trump tax cuts uh, still in place. Uh, Once those change over time, most likely uh, taxes will be be going up. Uh, You're going to take advantage of having tax-free income in retirement. That can be really beneficial in the future. It sure can. We've got about a minute and a half left, John. Uh, there have been some changes with respect to annuities, I believe, in, in 401ks. Can you talk about that? Right. Yes, that's true. There are Now, we had, of course, through the SECURE Act, uh, there was a provision in there that will give the opportunity for 401ks to also offer the option of uh, annuities within them. Now, the annuities are going to be different than what you would see normally outside of a 401k plan. But basically what we're talking about is creating a guaranteed income for life uh, from your 401k plan. And there is still uh, a little bit of uh, uh, maneuvering that's going to be going on here over the next few years to get participants in these plans familiar with how this is going to work and giving them that opportunity to take advantage of a lifetime income, almost like a pension-style income. Uh, from your 401k when you decide to retire. Uh, As you know, John, I don't know, over the years, uh, many companies have eliminated their pension plans, which were their defined benefit plans, and they move towards these 401k plans, the defined contribution plans, which puts the onus on the uh, employee uh, to make sure that they're contributing to the plan to have enough money to retire. But this will allow them to get a guaranteed income for life if they elect to do so, uh, in the future once they retire uh, from their uh, company where they're employed. But All right. you have to be aware that once you make that choice, that you cannot go back. It's an irrevocable choice. All right. Thanks to John Dombrowski for that advi- advice. We're going to go to a break. 
Yep, and Securities and Advisory Services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Shippick and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. We are joined now by my friend Mark Perry. Mark is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and a professor emeritus of economics at the University of Michigan. He might be best known, though, for being the proprietor of the economics blog Carpe Diem, which is a terrific website. Uh, Mark, thanks for being on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me on, John. Good to talk to you. So, Mark, I want to talk about a, a an activity that you've been carrying out here for the last several years in which you have been kind of a gadfly and have really bedeviled uh, higher education in, in America. And maybe just start by telling our readers, it's almost like a hobby for you. What, what, what is it that you've done to, uh, to, to put these people on the spot? Yeah, well, it's really become almost like a full-time job because what I've done, John, over the last three years or so is that I've been filing Title IX complaints and Title VI complaints in, against colleges and universities and higher education where I've identified probably more than 1,500 individual violations of Title IX, which says that universities cannot discriminate on the basis of sex, and Title VI says they cannot uh, discriminate on the basis of race, color, or national origin. And that's a condition of them receiving federal financial assistance, which includes federal Pell Grants for students, federally insured student loans, research grants for professors, And so as a condition of getting that federal money, they have to certify to the Department of Education on a regular basis that they're actively enforcing Title IX and Title VI and all the other federal civil rights laws, including for disabilities and so on. And so but what's happened is that universities routinely violate um, the Title IX and Title VI, even though they're certifying on a regular basis that they're actively enforcing it. So... What I've done is um, anybody can file a Title IX complaint or a Title VI complaint, and you don't need what's called you know, legal standing because it's not a lawsuit. You're not suing for damages. All I do is identify the various universities who are violating Title IX and then send a letter or email to the district office. There's 12 offices for civil rights that's part of the Department of Education. And then I'll just say the University of Minnesota or Arizona State University receives federal funds. They're required to enforce Title IX and Title VI. Here's all of the programs where they're violating Title IX because they're discriminating on the basis of sex by having single-sex, female-only fellowships, scholarships, awards, programs, summer camps, and so on. Or they're hosting black-only programs or black-only scholarships or affinity groups, which have become very common now. And then I'll just say, here's the information. Please investigate the university. Because there's this really systemic sexism and racism throughout all of higher education. It's gone unchecked because no one has ever challenged these violations. So I've taken it on. I'm a higher education watchdog, I guess, or a civil rights advocate. And so uh, over the last three years or so, I've filed 406 Title IX and Title VI complaints against universities and colleges for more than 1,500 violations. And based on those complaints, the Office for Civil Rights has opened more than 200 federal civil rights investigations of universities and colleges which are not um, enforcing Title IX. They're in violation of Title IX or Title VI. 
And based on those investigations, the Office for Civil Rights has ruled or resolved uh, over 100 cases, almost all in my favor, because Title IX is a very clear law. It says you can't discriminate on the basis of sex. The violations are very clear violations. They have a single-sex, female-only, or girl-only program. So it's a pretty clear-cut law, and the violations are pretty clear. And so in most cases, I've been able to prevail and successfully challenge universities who are operating um, illegal Title IX violations, and they're not enforcing Title IX and Title VI. So I've had a lot of success so far, and, and I continue plan to continue these efforts for um, the foreseeable future. So, Mark, it's really interesting. These universities obviously are aware that it's illegal to discriminate on the basis of sex. That's Title IX. And it's illegal to discriminate on the great, on the basis of race or skin color. That is Title VI. And yet it seems as if pretty much all of them believe that it's okay to discriminate as long as you're discriminating in favor of women. And it's okay to discriminate on the basis of race as long as you're um, – uh, as long as you're discriminating in favor of of blacks and maybe Hispanics, but not not Asians, <laughs> that's that's a totally different category, right? But but that but that's not the law, is it? Well, right, and I think it's a combination of universities sometimes not even realizing that they're violating Title IX and Title VI because they're introducing new programs all the time, and there's been this explosion in diversity, inclusion, and equity. Uh, efforts on campus. And so I think in some cases, you know, individual uh, staff members might introduce a program. They don't check with the university's legal counsel or the legal staff, and they introduce a program because it it sounds good, it promotes their efforts to advance whatever social justice, racial justice. So as one example, and I think I sent you some information on this, Gustavus Adolphus College um, in Minnesota is holding a people of color and international faculty and staff appreciation lunch on February 25th. So I'm confident that this is sponsored by their office of um, equity and inclusion. And so they have a new vice president of equity and inclusion. And so that staff member uh, is part of one of their diversocrats or their chief diversocrat probably figured, yeah, we're going to have this um, luncheon, which basically it's saying, Whites are not allowed. White Americans are not allowed because it's only for people of color and international faculty. And so I just filed a Title VI complaint today with the uh, Chicago Office for Civil Rights. I'm challenging that racially discriminatory luncheon that they're planning to have. And so I'm confident that some of the times the um, administrators come up with these brilliant ideas to have affinity groups or to have, you know, uh, female-only programs, and they don't clear it with general counsel. And sometimes that happened 20 or 25 years ago. I've challenged some, uh, successfully challenged some female-only programs, like let's say a, a female faculty award that may have been in place for 20, 30 years or more, and they've been violating Title IX for a generation, and they've gotten away with it because no one's ever challenged it. And then other universities or the same universities see those types of programs and they think, okay, this university has a summer girl STEM camp. We're going to have a summer girl STEM camp because they see it because it's pervasive and it's systemic. So I think it's a combination of them either thinking that they're above the law and they don't have to follow the law if they're discriminating in favor of the preferred group 
or they're unaware of the law. So either they are ignorant of the law or they think they're above the law. But in either case, I think it's a, a very sad indictment on higher education today. All right. We're going to a break, and we'll be back with more with uh, Mark Perry after these messages. We are back on the Seth Liebson Show, talking with economist Mark Perry, who has filed more than 400 complaints against American colleges and universities alleging sex discrimination and race discrimination in violation of Title IX and Title VI, respectively. And before the break, Mark, you mentioned a college in Minnesota that had a a luncheon, a, a Students of Color Appreciation Luncheon, to which, you know, only... Uh, uh, students and, and, and staff who are of, of color would, would be invited. And, and it's, there's a certain lack of sensitivity or, or, or a blind spot here, isn't there, Mark? I mean, this college or any college, it would never occur to them to have a white student's appreciation lunch, right? I mean, if somebody in the administration said, hey, I've got an idea, let's hold an appreciation lunch for our white students and faculty, <laughs> the other person would get stoned, right? And what what is it about these people that makes it so hard for them to understand that don't discriminate means don't discriminate? Yeah, that's why I mentioned, yeah, I mean, Title IX is a very clear law that says no person on the basis of sex shall face discrimination. Title VI, no person on the basis of race, color, or national origin shall face discrimination or be excluded um, or be denied benefits. So here it's actually the people of color and international faculty and staff appreciation lunch sponsored by the Office of Equity and Inclusion. And as I pointed out in my complaint, it's sponsored by the Office of Equity and, and Inclusion, but this is very inequitable, and it's excluding white Americans. And so it's just there's this double standard where, again, in higher education, there's preferred groups and unpreferred groups. And the preferred groups, of course, are women and BIPOCs or black, indigenous, people of color. And then the unpreferred groups are men and usually Asians, um, especially in the area of STEM, where they're overrepresented. And so whites and men and Asians are the unpreferred group. So in higher education, that's why it's, it's systemic that they think it's okay to discriminate against um, whites and males and Asians, and they think it's okay to have special preferences and favoritism for women and blacks and persons, other persons of color. So it's a clear, you know, double, it's a clear, um, you know, uh, very much hypocritical double standard. And so that's why I'm challenging this, because, again, I mean, discrimination is discrimination. And so that's why I think I've been successful, because even the Office for Civil Rights, which I think has their thumb on the scale in favor of universities, I think once they're presented with clear evidence that here you have a luncheon basically saying no whites are allowed to attend this lunch, that even the Office for Civil Rights then has to say, well, that really is discriminatory and so we really have to investigate this and have the college make some changes to their discriminate, discriminatory practices. Mark, can you stay with us for one more segment here after the top of the hour? I'd really like to keep this conversation going. Absolutely. Thanks, John. Sure. All right. We will be back with more after this. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.